Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is um, we're going to start a, a, in our life, we're we're doing the studies in the life of Christ and we're um, beginning a new uh, category, if you will. Uh, We're going to begin to look now at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we looked at his power over nature. We looked at him, uh, the restoring health. We looked at uh, uh, his power over demons and also his incarnation. So the subject this morning is the resurrection. And our first message is the stone, the stone is rolled away. And now we're going to be looking at Matthew 28 verses 1 through 8. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event in the history of mankind and of the church of Jesus Christ. And without this event, there would be no salvation, so there would be no church. It was the resurrection of Christ that transformed his disciples into fiery messengers of the gospel. And it brought brought about dramatic and eternal changes into the lives and the hearts of millions of people all over the world in the last 2,000 years. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God because we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Now, there are many observances today that are a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For example, the fact that churches that church services are held on Sunday is a testimony of the resurrection of Christ which changed the day of worship from Saturday, which was the Sabbath, to the first day of the week, the day when Jesus rose from the grave. One of the greatest religious celebrations of the year coming up soon is Easter. And and though it's celebrated in some weird ways by some churches, you know, and, uh, but it is, again, the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. It came about from, again, because of the resurrection. And because it's observed faithfully every year, it attests to the resurrection of Christ. And without the resurrection of Christ, there would be no Easter ceremonies at all. Now, the first event that followed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Gospels record, And makes sense is the opening of the tomb from which Jesus had already left because he had risen. Only Matthew records this event because it's the most important, uh, because it's uh, it's important, uh, it answers some questions about uh, what the women who were the first ones at the tomb on Easter morning found out when they got there. Only Matthew records this. Uh, He also, on, on the way, they worried. The women worried uh, that who would move the stone away from the tomb for them. So then when they got there, they could apply more burial spices to the Lord's body. Uh, but when they got to the tomb, they found that the stone had already been rolled away. But how did that happen? Well, Matthew answers that question. Again, Paul, uh, the, Matthew is, is the shortest um, gives the the least about information uh, on the resurrection, but it's the most informative. 
So again, when they got to the tomb, the ladies found that the, the tomb had already been rolled away. But they're, they're wondering, how? You know, who did it? Again, Matthew answers that question. Plus that, the women didn't find any guards at the tomb when they got there. Well, Matthew explains that too. And Matthew also tells us that when the women got to the tomb, there was also angels there. So again, Matthew is the only one who mentions the earthquake on resurrection morning, the opening of the tomb. Also the soldiers' reaction and how they were bribed by the religious leaders. Only Matthew explains these things. Again, it's the shortest account of the resurrection in the Gospels, but it's the most informative when it comes to the resurrection. During the resurrection, there was a pretty powerful earthquake because Matthew 27, verse 51 tells us that the rocks were torn apart by this earthquake. That had to be a pretty powerful earthquake. And there was another earthquake after the resurrection, and only Matthew's gospel records this earthquake. So let's begin now in in chapter 28 of Matthew, beginning with verses 1 and 2. And Matthew begins... Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. The Sabbath ended at sundown on Saturday. And the events of these verses, or these two verses, took place at dawn on Sunday morning. An earthquake marked the death of Jesus, chapter 27, verse 51 of Matthew. But here in chapter 28, it marked his resurrection. And verse 2 here says there was a great earthquake. The word great in Greek is mega. So it was a mega earthquake. It was a huge earthquake. And the word mega describes how powerful it was. This earthquake took place when an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, causing the earth around the tomb to shake violently. The angel had come to open the secured and sealed tomb. Now, there's a lot of humor, if you will. Again, it's, it's funny because of the foolishness of man. But again, there's a lot of humor when you compare man's highly sophisticated security system for that day and how easy God was able to just override it and brush it aside. This earthquake took place when an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, causing the earth around the grave to shake violently. Now, the angel had come to open the secured and sealed grave. And when he got there and when he arrived... That is, when the angel arrived, he rolled away the stone and he sat upon it. Even though it probably took several strong men to roll that stone into place to cover the tomb, the angel removed it in an instant without breaking a sweat. It's really important that we get this scene in our minds about the resurrection of Christ. Because it's so incredibly important. Because, you see, if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave... Our faith means nothing. Our faith would be useless. It would have no value. The resurrection is the capstone of Christianity. Now, if you're not familiar with what a capstone is, if you've ever seen an archway made out of rocks, okay, that center rock is called the capstone. 
And if you were to remove that middle rock, well, you can imagine when everything comes crumbling down. Well, that's why the resurrection is the capstone of Christianity. Because without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. We would have no, nothing to have faith in. There would, be no, uh, there would be no need for church. But Jesus Christ is the capstone. He's the center of it all. He's the meaning of it all. So again, you see, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was disproved, our holy faith would be just a fairy tale. There would be nothing to rest upon if Jesus, who died on the cross, did not also raise from the grave. So you see, this is a very important issue to understand. Let's, let me read to you what Charles Spurgeon said regarding the, the, the resurrection. He said, all the great doctrines of our divine religion fall asunder like the stones of an arch when the capstone is dislodged. So again, he even uses the, the, you know, the, the example of a capstone being dislodged. Bishop Ryle said this, we need not wonder that so much importance is attached to our Lord's resurrection. It is the seal and headstone of the great work of redemption, which he came to do. It's the crowning proof that he has paid the debt which he undertook to pay on our behalf. He won the battle which he fought from the prison of the grave. How could we ever have been sure that our ransom had been fully paid? Had he never risen from his conflict with the last enemy, which is death, how could we have felt confident that he has overcome death and him, the one that had power over death, which is the devil? But thanks be to God, the Lord Jesus really rose for our justification. True Christians are begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank the Father for the resurrection. In verse 2 it says here, An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and he sat on it. Now the angel didn't remove the stone so that Jesus could get out. The angel moved the stone to let the women and the apostles get in. To see that the tomb was empty, that Jesus wasn't there. You see, if Jesus had the power to raise himself from the dead, which he does, we see that in John 10, 18, he definitely had the power to get out of a sealed tomb. His resurrection proved that he wasn't bound any longer by earthly limitations of man or of time. In his glorified body, Jesus could escape a secure and sealed grave just as easily as he could enter a room with doors and windows closed. When you read the other Gospels concerning the resurrection, we find that Jesus already left the tomb when the stone was, uh, was rolled away. So prior to the stone being rolled away, he was gone. Based on John 20, verse 1, it seems that Mary Magdalene left the garden as soon as she saw the stone was already rolled away. Before the angel even appeared, John 20 verse 2 says this, She, that is Mary, ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. She had obviously missed what the angel had said about Jesus' resurrection. You see, she was so stressed and so bummed out when she found out that the tomb was empty, that she ran so nervously to Peter and John, you know, to find out what happened. She went to Peter and John to tell them what she thought was the worst news possible. You see, it didn't dawn on her that Jesus just might have risen like he said he would. And then she assumed that somebody had stolen the body 
and they were hiding it. Again, it's, you know, it, it's funny how we fellowship with the Lord. You know, we read His Word. We, we, we read about His promises, the things that He tells us. He speaks to us through His Word. He tells us of, of, of His mightiness, His almightiness, and, and, and the power that He has. And then when something happens, we go, oh no, I can't believe it. You know, we read about it, we tell others about it, and Really? No, man, I, no, I, that really happened? And it's like, Mary, we just, it just like goes over our head. It's obvious that Peter and John didn't think about the possibility of the resurrection either. You see, they instantly took off running to the tomb to see what they could find out. Instead of saying, Mary, Mary, relax, settle down. Remember what Jesus said? He was going to resurrect on the third day. There's no need to go back there. He's not there. But they took off running to two to the two. What happened? Well, let's go see the, Let's check it out. What's going on here? Verse three says, speaking about the angel, notice his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The angel's countenance was bright. It was brilliant. Brilliance is a characteristic of heavenly beings. And the appearance of the angel was very striking. It was shocking to those who were seeing him. The appearance of an angel or of the angel, it reflects heavenliness. It reflects heaven and holiness. The lightning expresses the glory of heaven. And the white reflects the purity and the innocence, the holiness of the heavenly place where the angel came from. And the description of the angel, it suggests that God had transferred some of his own Shekinah glory to the angel. Just like he had uh, transferred some to, uh, to, uh, of, the, of God's glory to Moses' face on Mount Sinai, remember, when the covenant was renewed. It said the skin of Moses' face shone. And in a similar way, the angel's shining garment that was as white as snow, it suggests God's purity and his holiness. So the angel displayed the very imprint of the character of God in order to make it clear to those who were watching, not only that he was a supernatural messenger, this angel, but that he was also an angel of God and not Satan. All of this says heaven is indescribable compared to earth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, I was caught up in the third heaven. I do not know, he says, I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. God had honored Paul by giving him visions and revelations and by taking him to heaven. But he honored him even more by letting Paul hear unspeakable words and other things. Paul said, well, I was in heaven. He says, I heard things, divine secrets that are shared only in heaven. He said, these these things could be spoken by God and by beings in heaven, but they couldn't be spoken by man. He couldn't put them into words. The things that he saw and the things that he heard in heaven, they were indescribable. The things spoken by God in heavenly beings, he said, "I I couldn't even repeat them. Because you see, earth is so dull and so drab and filthy compared to heaven. Nothing on this earth will outshine the magnificence and the glory of heaven. But whenever heaven reveals itself on earth, its magnificence far outshines anything 
on this earth. So it would do us good to appraise, to look at all of the so-called glories of this earth and appraise them and really look at the view of their wealth and authentic splendor compared to the heavenly wealth and splendor. Again, nothing here can even compare to the glories of heaven. A lot of people think that the bright lights of the earth are where the splendor is. But heaven's brightness will make the brightness of the things on earth look dull and dark and pale in comparison. Now, heavenly beings, they're usually represented as clothed in white. Again, white was the symbol of purity or innocence. And the emphasis here is on the holiness of God, and it carries a warning as well to mankind. You see, white speaks of judgment on sin. And holiness cannot tolerate sin or cannot tolerate evil, not even the slightest bit. And will fight against evil and destroy it. Paul said when Jesus returns that that Christ's brightness is going to destroy destroy the Antichrist. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless one or the Antichrist will be revealed whom the Lord will consume, notice, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness the brilliance, the beauty of his coming. So in the angel's appearance at the tomb, he is reflecting the holiness of heaven. And holiness triumphed over wickedness here at the tomb. Wickedness brought darkness. Holiness brings light. So the day after the crucifixion, the religious leaders, even though it was a Sabbath day, they went to Pilate, the governor. And they went to Pontius Pilate to ask him to have the tomb sealed and secured and to place guards at the tomb. Because, you see, they were afraid that the disciples might come and steal the Lord's body. And then, the worst thing of all, they'd go around telling everybody, he resurrected just like he said he would. But, you see, nobody had to have that fear because Jesus didn't need anybody's help to to get himself out of that tomb. So... They went to Pilate. They asked for Pilate to send guards and, uh, to the tomb and, and guard it so nobody could get in there and take the body, and they sealed it. Well, Pilate gave them what they wanted. Pilate gave the okay to have the tomb sealed and to assign guards to guard the tomb. So the guards watched that tomb faithfully. They stood guard faithfully, but you know what? They never saw him arise. They never saw him escape from the tomb. But what they did see was the angel and the tomb wide open. Now remember, these were Roman soldiers, the toughest of the tough. They were the rough and the tough Roman soldiers. But even as tough as they were, they couldn't handle seeing this angel at the tomb. And Matthew tells us how these rough and tough Roman soldiers reacted to the angel. It was an embarrassing reaction. For Roman soldiers. But it showed that God was in control and that God was in power and not Rome and the Roman army. Look at verse 4 now. And the guards shook for fear of him, that is the angel, and they became like dead men. Again, even though they were rough and tough Roman soldiers, they were shaking in their sandals. They were paralyzed with fear. It says there they faint. They, they says they they became like dead men. They basically fainted. 
And the idea seems to be that they not only became rigid, you know, just stiff, but unconscious and completely traumatized that is shocked by what they saw. So we see how God frustrates his enemies by frightening them. Now, fear is an uncomfortable consequence of sin. And if you remember, you know, when you did wrong as a child or you, know, you did wrong, something really bad as you were, you know, you, you got you, you were fearful. You know, you, you were scared. Because it's a consequence of sin. And so, again, the Roman soldiers here, they figured, oh, man, you know, we, we're, we're in trouble here. Jesus resurrected. They had a sense of fear. They're trembling. They're trembling fear. Notice, in front of this heavenly being, this angel is a picture of the future of the great trembling that will take place when unrepentant sinners, that is, those who reject Jesus Christ, when they stand before the judgment of the Almighty on that last day, they will be trembling in fear. Again, it'll be a consequence of their sin. Later on in Matthew 28, 11, we're told that some of the guards went to tell the chief priests what had happened. And the rest of the guards, they left their post of duty. Because you see, when the women arrived at the tomb, there weren't any guards there. There were none found anywhere. So the guards just took off. They were, they were AWOL. Some of them went to the religious leaders and some of them went somewhere else. Nobody knows where they just, they just took off. So you see, there wouldn't be anyone around to stop them from going to the grave to see that Jesus had ridden. Now this shows us that God can remove any and all barriers quickly and powerfully to his work. The enemies of God, they can plot, they can scheme, they can use, you know, they can use their, 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 their greatest systems of security and all that that the armies that they can muster they can you know do use their best shot to hide the truth of god but they can't do it think of the years that christianity has been persecuted and the bible has been burned and tried to be stomped out and removed from society and christianity as well and here we are today still talking about jesus christ and his resurrection you can't stomp out the word. Of God. You can't stop God. Now, the women were also frightened, but not like the soldiers. Because you see, the women were comforted by God's messenger, the angel. The angel knew that the women were scared. And you know what? The Lord always has a timely word for his people. At just the right time. So the angel said to the women. Do not be afraid. He knew exactly what they needed to hear. Our Lord knows exactly what we need to hear. The soldiers on the other hand. Boy they had every reason to be afraid. Not only was the angel's appearance terrifying. In just their appearance, their appearance alone. But you see here's the, here's the thing too. You see, they had been assigned to protect the grave. They had been posted there so that Jesus could not escape the tomb. Now, in those days, when a Roman soldier was assigned to guard a prisoner, they were basically guarding them with their life because if that prisoner escaped, their life would be required for that prisoner getting away. So they had two reasons to fear. First of all, Jesus Christ resurrected saying who he was. And secondly, their life was now in jeopardy 
because he escaped. But you see, the women, they didn't have any reason to be afraid. And the angel's first words were meant to comfort them and assure them. They came to the tomb thinking they were going to find Jesus still in it. And a lot of people live today as if Jesus was still in the tomb. As if he never resurrected. The greatest history and event of all mankind. And people live today as if Jesus wasn't who he said he was and as if he hadn't resurrected and was still lying in the tomb. All the other so-called great religious leaders are still lying in their tomb. But not Jesus Christ. He is God. The Savior of our souls. He died for our sins. And we better understand that. and We better make a real educated choice in rejecting or choosing him because our eternal life depends upon it. Where we spend eternal life depends upon it. And so again, these women, they had no reason to be afraid. He was their Lord. And so they came to the tomb, like I said, thinking they were going to find Jesus in it. But in God's gracious mercy, he overlooked their weak faith. And he overlooked their lack of understanding. Recognizing the women's great love for Jesus, God responded with his great love to them. Notice what it says here in verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Look at verse 6 as well. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Jesus himself had power to give up his life and to take it up again. John 10, 10, 18 tells us that. But scripture also makes it clear that he was also raised by the power of the Father in Romans 6, 4 and the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 11, showing us that the Trinity were all involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the angel reminded the women that Jesus resurrected just like he said. In Luke 24, uh, 8, they said they, that, that the women remembered his words. The women remembered, that's right. He did say he was going to resurrect on the third day. And then the angel said, notice in verse 6 there, come see the place where the Lord lay. So they went to the tomb and they saw Hey, it's empty. Just like he said he would resurrect. The the angel joined them in the tomb and again repeated the same basic message saying, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Mark 16, 6. The message might have been repeated because the the women found it so hard to believe that he had resurrected. Again, even though they now remember Jesus said that he would rise on the third day. When Peter and John went into the tomb, a little while later, John 20, verse 6 and 7 says this, they saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lined with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. This is so cool about the, the resurrection. The burial cloths, were just as they were when Joseph and Nicodemus laid the body to rest, except for the face cloth, which was set to one side. 
In other words, think of it. Jesus didn't have, somebody didn't have to go into the tomb and, and unwrap Jesus so he could get out. The grammar of the scripture says that the form of, of the body was still intact in the wrap, wrapping cloths. The wrapping cloths were still in the form of a body, but Jesus was gone. Jesus just, again, came right through those wrapping cloths. Nobody had to unwrap him so that he could get out. And then it says, except for the face cloth, it was wrapped up, folded neatly, and put to the side. At one moment, Jesus was wrapped up in the linen. And the next, he was free leaving the wrappings unchanged in the form of his body. Now, while the women were in the tomb, another angel joined the first one. John 20, 12 says, One was at the head and one was at the feet of where Jesus laid. This is a picture of the two golden cherubim who are on each side of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a representation of God's presence in the Old Testament. The the, the, the mercy seat was the lid that covered the Ark of the Covenant. And two angels, there was one at each side, and their, their wings would extend over and across the mercy seat. The mercy seat was where the priest would come in and sprinkle the blood for the atonement of man's sins. This is a picture of what we have with Christ and when he was lying in the tomb, an angel on each side because Jesus Christ was the real mercy seat where his blood was shed for the atonement of our sins. The Bible is so beautiful in in its wording and in its symbolism. Again, so he was the true mercy seat for sinful mankind. The two angels reminded the women of something. They asked him, according to Luke 24, 5 through 7, they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men, into the hands of the sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again? So this is a, this is a third time that the women were told this wonderful truth about Jesus' resurrection. A truth whose fulfillment that they should have been anxiously awaiting for. Not doubting. Then one of the angels said, notice in verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, the angels told him to go quickly to Galilee and to tell the disciples that he is risen. So what the angels had asked the the, the women to do now was to get over basically, you know, their fascination now and turn that fascination into proclamation. Go and tell the disciples that he has risen. I mean, they really kind of didn't even have time to celebrate this, this wonderful experience, this wonderful occasion, the wonderful good news. They had to now go tell the disciples who were you know, cringing and hiding because of what had happened. They were still hiding in Jerusalem. Now, some wonder why God chose to let the women know first about the resurrection and not the disciples, which is kind of funny because why not? But again, 
people get in the Bible and, and many times they, they, instead of looking at the important context, they want to look at the questioning. Why? How come this? You know, and just, it, it's, it's just the nature of people. But we're not told why God chose to let the women know first about the resurrection and not the disciples. But yet, could it be based on they were just there? <laughs> Snoozers lose. Disciples, you were out over hiding and the women were there. Hey, they got to see it. Plain and simple. Let's just take the Bible for what it says and not, you know, oh, let's be, oh, maybe they didn't like women or maybe, you know, hey. Based on Scripture, it seems that they were the first ones to hear that Jesus had risen. Why? Because they were the first ones at the tomb. Most likely, if the disciples had been there with them, they would have also heard the news directly from the angel. But they got it from the women because they were there. And this is similar to the reality that the closer a believer stays to the Lord and to his work, the more they're going to see and experience the Lord's power. In other words, those who are present when the Lord's people gather together for worship and prayer, those who are there when his word is being taught, and where, uh, those who are there when the, when the lost are getting saved and, and who have regular times of, of prayer, those are the ones who are most often going to experience God's hand, God's work firsthand. Be there. Experience God's work firsthand. The angels gave additional instructions to the women to go tell Jesus' disciples that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Verse 7 says, Behold, I have told you. Now, Jesus made appearances after his resurrection, first in Jerusalem and in Judea, then in Galilee, and then in Jerusalem again. Now, earlier in the week, Jesus had told the 11 remaining disciples in Matthew 26, 32, he says, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, Galilee was both mixed Jewish and Gentile. It represented the world at large, just, just a, a bunch of different people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Like It was in Galilee where Jesus started his ministry. Matthew 4, 15 and 16 says, In Galilee of the Gentiles, where the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. That's why it's a great type of the world. People today are sitting in darkness. Some by choice and some by ignorance. They just don't know. The fact alone that Jesus so accurately and completely fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, that should have been enough to convince an honest mind of the Bible's truthfulness and authority. And you know what, people today, this is so important. If you're honest with yourself and you will use your mind and you will study what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, you cannot help but come to the right conclusion that he is Lord. The problem today is we listen to the weirdos out there who think they're biblical experts. Oh, well, you can't believe in Jesus because we don't know if he was a man or a woman. Okay. You can't believe in the Bible because it was written by men. It was a different culture. We got all of these things and we go, oh, that's why I don't believe the Bible. Really? What a study. What a way to find out to people who have no idea what they're talking about. You research when you make important decisions for other things, don't you? When you're buying a house, you're buying a car, where you're going to send your child to school. You research. You, do, you, you check things out before you make a decision. It, this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life, spending my, the rest of my eternity in heaven or hell. 
And if there's a hell, I better make sure that I don't go there. And how do I know how I'm not going to go there? I better study the scriptures. I better find out. I better do my research. Because when we stand before God on that last day, and we say, well, you know, I don't know. I didn't know. Hey, it doesn't work when you get a ticket with the cop. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry you didn't know, but it's your duty. If you're going to drive in my town, you better, know my, you better know the laws. And he's right. They're right. God's been gracious for over 2,000 years. The gospel has been preached for over 2,000 years. And we better know when we stand before him what we're going to say. Because God doesn't take I didn't know as an excuse. I mean, the crucifixion, it's known all over the world. The resurrection has been celebrated for over 2,000. Again, you know, he rose from the dead. So this this isn't something that, that happened in some dark, faraway corner in the world. We, need, we, we better know. We better know how we're going to say, what we're going to say to Christ, yes or no. The fact alone, like I said, that Jesus so accurately and completely filled Old Testament prophecy, that should be enough to convince, the honest, again, the honest mind about the Bible's truthfulness and authority. Just like Isaiah, he predicted the birth of Christ 800 years before it took place. And this just is one. The Old Testament has like 300 300 prophecies of the coming of Christ. 300. And they were all fulfilled. And all you have to do is check it out. Check it out. The Bible is filled with Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Christ, his crucifixion, how he would die, the process that they would use. It's all there. Again, 800 years before he was born, it was prophesied. The despised, sin-darkened, and rebellious Galileans, they were the first to see the Messiah when he resurrected. They were first to see the beginning of God's new covenant with man. It wasn't mighty and beautiful Jerusalem, which was the main city of the Jews that got to see Jesus first, but Galilee of the Gentiles, they would be the first one to hear Christ's message. It wouldn't be the learned, the proud, and the pure Jews of Jerusalem to hear God's message first. It would be the mixed breeds, the downcast, the non-traditional mixed multitude of Samaria and Galilee that had the great honor of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was to those who were neediest and who were most likely to recognize their need. That's where Jesus went first. To those who were the neediest and who recognized, I need Christ. I need his, his, his salvation. I need his forgiveness of sins. The fact that Jesus started his ministry in Samaria and Galilee rather than Jerusalem and Judea, it points to the fact that his gospel of salvation was for the whole world. The whole world. It would also be in Galilee where the disciples would receive the great commission from Jesus to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It wasn't that Jesus would first appear to the, to the disciples in Galilee because he manifested himself to them in several other places before that or several times before that. 
Jesus appeared to Peter in Luke, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke, uh, to, the ten, uh, to ten of the disciples as they were gathered together on that resurrection evening, that first resurrection evening in John chapter 20. He would also appear to the 11 disciples eight days later uh, after that first appearing on that resurrection evening and to seven of the disciples as they were fishing in the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus' greatest appearance to the disciples was to be in Galilee where it says he appeared in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time. So you see, it's not that, that, that you know, the resurrection, you, you can't believe. It's been documented. 500 people, it's, it's a documented thing. People saw him after the resurrection. And that's where he commissioned also the 11 to apostolic ministry there in Galilee. Verse 8 here, notice what it says here now. So they went out quickly, that is the women, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. The women obediently responded to the angel's command and they ran quickly from the tomb. Running quickly, notice, means they believed what they were told and they went to tell the disciples. The women were afraid and joyful at the same time. The joy, though, would cancel out their fear. But you see, no matter what turmoil they were feeling, these women were feeling, emotionally, they're a good example to follow. They obeyed the Lord in the angel's order. I want to close with this writing by Charles Spurgeon regarding the resurrection. He said, Lend me your imaginations for a minute while I endeavor to picture a scene. Jesus had paid the price, the full price. That price was presented before the Father's judgment seat. The Father looked at it and was content. But as it was a solemn matter, it wasn't hurried over. Three days were taken that the ransom price might be counted out and its value fully estimated. The angels looked and admired the spirits of the just came and examined it, and they wondered and were delighted. The very devils in hell could only express their satisfaction by biting their iron bonds and sullenly, sullenly keeping silence because they had not a word to speak against the sacrifice of Christ. The three days passed away, and the atonement was fully accepted. Then the angel came from heaven, swift as the lightning flash. He descended from the spheres of the blessed into this lower earth and he came into the prison house where the Savior's body slept, speaking of the tomb. Remember, his body had been kept in the prison till God ratified his atonement and accepted it. He was lying there a hostage for people. The angel came and spoke to the keeper of the prison, one called Grim Death, and said to him, Let that captive go free. Death was sitting on his throne of skulls with a huge iron key at his girdle of iron. And death laughed and said, Aha, thousands and thousands of the race of Adam have passed through the doorways of this prison house, but none of them have ever been delivered. That key has been once turned in its, war, turned in its wards by destiny, and no mortal power can ever turn it back again and draw the bolts from their resting places. Then the angel showed to him heaven's own permit and death turned pale. The angel grabbed the key from death, unlocked the prison door and stepped in. There slept the royal captive, the divine hostage. 
And the angel cried, Arise, thou sleeper, put off thy garments of death, shake thyself from the dust, and put on thy beautiful garments. The master arose. He unwound the napkin and he laid it by itself. He took off his grave clothes and, and, and laid them by, I'm sorry, he took off the grave clothes and laid them by themselves to show that he was in no hurry, that everything was done legally and orderly. He didn't break down his prison walls to come out, but came out by legal process, just as he had entered in. He seemed to express himself as Paul did. No, very, let them come themselves and fetch me out. So was the master set at liberty by heaven's own officer who came from heaven to give him just liberty. God's proof that he had done all that, he was, that was necessary. Thou Lamb, of God, I, uh, thou Lamb of God, I see thee rising from thy tomb in splendor indescribable, dazzling the eyes of the guards and making them flee away in terror. And when I see thee risen from the dead, I see myself accepted and all thy dying redeemed people fully delivered. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for his resurrection, God. We thank you that he conquered death and that, Father, through Christ, we can too, Lord. We thank you, Father, for sending your son to die on a cross for our sins, God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came in obedience to the Father. And Lord, we pray that God with honest minds, honest hearts and open minds, God. The Lord, we'd hear the truth of your word, God. And not hear the lies of men. And that, Father, we would receive Christ. We'd make him our own Lord and Savior. That we'd seek his forgiveness for our sins, those for which he died. Because only he has the power to save. Only he has the power to get us into the kingdom of God. And the Father is only going to accept those who have come to his Son. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you never heard or understood that I need Christ in order to get into heaven. That's the reason he died on the cross. Only he could die for our sins. He was the only one worthy to die for our sins. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship right now. And this time is for you. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord Savior, then you get up out of your seat. And you make your way towards the steps up front. And I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray a simple prayer of faith together.